0: This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. Please remain calm. Welcome to the How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse podcast. I am Chad the Impaler, and thanks for everyone for joining today. We have a special guest. Everyone likes our narcissist-abuse survivor Podcasts, and today we have Jody Prouse will be joining us. I found Jody on the internet. I found an article she wrote about her narcissistic mother. Eventually, during the actual podcast, my memory will get jogged of how I did find her, and instead of reading that article at the beginning, because of how the podcast goes. I will be reading it after it is over just so we can go in some sort of chronological order. I don't know if it's a chronological order. Or I'm just trying to stay true to the podcast so it kind of makes sense during it cuz I record these uh after it is over. So anyway, that's uh that's it. I'm just going to as as usual, I'm just going to get into the podcast so you can listen to Jody's story. It's story of addiction. It's a story of uh, narcissistic parents and being a codependent person and being uh, a fixer of a family if you were raised in this type of environment. So this isn't a... A a lot of people have been used to stories so far of dating or being in a relationship and not uh, raised in a family uh, where you don't even realize that you're being raised in a narcissistic household and how that can... Uh, affect the rest of your life. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Jody Prowse. And today we have a special guest. We have Jody Prowse. How are you?
1: I'm great. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Well, uh, what we know, what I know is that I read your book. So I know all about you. Uh, Jodi wrote a memoir of her life called The Sun is Gone. And I guess, you know, a lot of people in our lives have people that dealt with uh, addiction problems and you had a brother who was severely addicted to alcohol and eventually after the fact, uh, when you're unpacking everything, once like your story and your book completed, you, you got to the point where you were discovering what was going on with uh the other parts of your family. So uh I'm not going to ruin your memoir, but I will go over uh, a lot like reading your book, one of the things that really stuck with me was uh the part about learned uh helplessness. And if you can you talk a little bit about learning well what that was and I guess how it related, to, you know, to maybe uh, uh a dysfunctional family and uh, maybe how others uh, that might not even realize that they're doing it currently in their family, uh, how they can uh, maybe identify what's going on?
1: Yeah, and, and, you know, that's the thing. I I think you, unless something catastrophic, I think, happens in your life, and maybe you're forced to go to therapy or or try to unravel everything, you really don't know why you behave in a certain way. I, I don't think anybody really thinks about it. Um I always knew I was extremely close to my brother that you know how how uh I I looked after him and all those things but I never really understood why uh, um until you know almost a lifetime passes and that's through all the therapy um so I think I always say it's it's very important you're stuck in this all this addiction, and you're, you're so focused on that person's drinking, they have a problem uh, that you really don't look at, you know what, maybe it's all the people also around them in the family circle that have a problem.
0: Yeah. And you know, when I was reading uh, your book, the one you know, the one thing uh, for everyone who doesn't have this book yet, you should buy it on Amazon, correct? It's on Amazon? It is on Amazon. Uh, sun yeah. is gone. What you you'll learn, you'll be sitting there and you will reading about your life and being like, uh, you know, you'll you drop everything, no matter what. You're you're like the most reliable person. Um, so reliable, it's a detriment to your life, uh, and it took you a very long time to fully comprehend um, how detrimental it could be to you. Uh when like uh, as far as codependency goes, uh how many years did it take in that whole entire process for you to realize that you were codependent?
1: Oh gosh. I, I think uh I was probably just over 40 years old. Forty years old and yeah. I and I still didn't really realize it. You I always say to people, you know, I never gave my brother money. I didn't phone in sick for work for him like things that my other family members were doing that that's definitely for me, that is enabling. Um, But I saw, I was doing other things. I was cleaning his apartment. I was, you know, things that I thought were support at the time. I was paying for his therapy because he kept getting, losing his job. Um, But I think what really drives drove me and I think drives most people, it is, it's done out of a place of love Someone you love is going to die, and that just causes you to behave in, in and make choices that you wouldn't normally make. That that is just that is just what's in your mind every minute of the of your waking moments.
0: So, uh, one thing that I I was always curious, um, I guess, when you were you guys were younger, uh, your brother Brett. Yeah. And, and your sister, Nicole, who was much younger than you, um, it, I forget what the gap was on, on the age of you and, and your youngest sister.
1: Yeah, eight years. Eight so years. Spo- the, Yeah, so my brother's Wh- which, four which is, years which, which younger. Which is a
0: lifetime uh, yes. when you're younger. Yes. A- and the one thing, what was, br- like, with your mom and dad, obviously your, dad, your mom and dad are uh, split up. Uh, yeah. What was your brother's role in the family and what was... Like, uh, in a traditional narcissistic parent household, um, your brother, was your brother the scapegoat of the family? Cause it always seemed like he was, you know, everyone liked him. Yeah. Um, yeah. but were you the one that was nitpicked or was he the one that was nitpicked?
1: Um, uh, I don't miss, I, I, I was or, definitely the one I, I, I was definitely the one, certainly the one. And, you know, you talk about even even throughout my whole book, I don't even get to the narcissistic family oh, oh, um, when the book ends, right? And so that has to tell you that, first of all, how important programs like yours are, how important it is to talk, how important it is to go to therapy if you feel that you're struggling. Because I have only really, underst- really understood this for the last two years. And so... Um, my brother was the golden child. My brother, I mean, he was loved above all others, um, and by everyone. First, it, it, it was his demeanor. I mean, he, he was so, so sweet and kind and all those things. Um, but he could do no wrong. And that, that was definitely part of the problem when he started struggling with such severe alcoholism. I mean, to my mother, uh. No, no, nothing Brett could ever do um, would be bad, and so that was that was very hard on during this journey.
0: Yeah, when I when I was, um, yeah, when you uh, a lot of your book, I was uh, sitting there, and you know, your like your story was very extreme. Uh, yes you know the, the degree of alcoholism and addiction was off of a chart it really was off of a chart it's very very extreme and that. i kept on saying like but there's still this core actions and reactions of human beings that even though that one was extreme and whatever i've endured in my life and within my family unit might not have been as extreme the core yep. the core issues we're all so familiar and, uh, your, your mom's reactions might be more of like, I guess sometimes your mom's reactions to things were combinations of, let's say my mom and dad, even though let's say one of my parents is narcissistic and one of them is codependent. Cause sometimes it's mm-hmm. uh, hard to tell that when you're in the throes of codependency, um, and it was, it was very eerie, uh, to read it because in a, in a way it was very textbook and, uh, very familiar. And it brought me back to this familiar place that I didn't want to be. Yeah. Um, cause I could see it like, uh, when you spoke or when you wrote of, uh, any, uh, I guess more of the dismissive, uh, the protection in the book and how no matter what, No matter how bad things can get, you could give your mom, uh, 5,000 things that were terrible that your son, your brother was doing and this one good thing and she'll hang on to that good thing and ignore the other 5,000, uh, in a way, uh, as in a a form of, not a form of denial, but, um, I guess it is a form of denial. Yeah.
1: Yeah. In, in, in it's a form of all sorts of things I think now now really understanding my family mm-hmm. I think it is it is codependency. it is denial my my mother to this day is in denial um, and and what I learn now is you know likely in my opinion, has narcissistic personality disorder
0: so um, how did you how did you eventually get to that point?
1: Well, I I can't even believe this. I I really, I can't, and it it just shows you what fate is. When you started the introduction, all of a sudden I looked at the date. Um, On June 3rd, um, 2017, Mm -hmm. uh, I had a nervous breakdown, and I ended up in the hospital, and I was me. I was strong. I could take on the whole world. Obviously, you know, I had a lot A lot happen to me in my lifetime. Um, and the next day, I was severely depressed and suicidal. And I, it took me 10 months of, I mean, scary, scary thoughts for myself and what had happened. And that's through therapy, I learned really about the narcissism. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm not blaming my mother for my nervous breakdown, but that was the root of why I had a nervous breakdown.
0: And so you were speaking to her up until that point and you don't uh, speak to her?
1: No, I, I wasn't even speaking to her. Um, we, um, I have. You know, they're not healthy for me. She is not healthy for me. I I wish her nothing but the best. Um, But in 20, so we we haven't spoken six years, but in 2017, my book was coming out. Um, I did always respect the fact, you know, my mother wasn't happy, Um, but, and and this is narcissism. When you speak out or you say some of the things that are going on in families, um, they... They will defend themselves and, and, and you will become an enemy. Mm-hmm. And I, I just was inundated with people that I love getting a hold of me, saying the things my mother was saying about me and, and things. And I want to reiterate, I did not ever write a book for people to hate my mother. Mm-hmm. We all, and I, I, I can't even say we all in my family. I'll only speak for me. I made mistakes. And I wish I had done things differently during that journey, but, you know, we do the best we can with what we know at the time. Um And so that just caused, caused my, my mother's denial of the story that, you know, I've exaggerated it. It wasn't that bad. And I think, I think, I think at the time, and it'll probably speak to who I am. I remember how I was feeling. It's like, I don't care that she denies that's my life. I was so hurt that she denied that was how it was for my brother. Mm -hmm. But I think that goes back to, right? Me defending somebody that I love and, and, and it was too much for me.
0: Mm -hmm. So uh, all of that then, so it was, I guess the pressure when the book came out, uh, and just all of the family talking and that, uh, I guess brought you to, uh, the breakdown, uh, or, or just, or is it really just everything in life that had occurred up until then? And, um, that was just a straw that broke the camel's back in a sense that you you were, you were dealing with it all, but then uh, subconsciously, something fell, and then, when that fell, you were able to yeah. then pick up the pieces after of really what yeah. had occurred
1: subconsciously, I think it was a lifetime of what I really know now and and the whole and that 's why i 'm so at peace now. I said it took ten months. Um, I did EMDR therapy mm-hmm. um, which I believe that that 's and medication, I will say, both those and, and all the other work I did saved my life. But I'll tell you what I really, really learned and, and I think it just sums up my nervous breakdown is my mother always, it was my job since I was five, look after my brother, look after my sister, look after the needs of my mom, look after my grandmother, look at everything, I uh, all these things I had to do and I failed at all of them because I, I you can't be responsible for somebody else. And so I think that just everything, it was just, I was a failure subconsciously. Mm -hmm. I was a failure. I was a failure. And finally, I just know now, none of that ever should have been put on me. Um, Those were my learned patterns from five years old. I mean, that, that's why I did it.
0: Mm -hmm. And you were like, uh, for everyone who has not read the book, uh, you are, you're the ultimate fixer. I mean, if there yes. was something wrong, anything, uh, anything, crazy stuff, you were there. I mean, to deny the fact that you weren't um, taking care of not just your brother, uh, your younger sister when you were asked to, um, and your mother. I mean, you. a lot of people would, <laughs> wouldn't have spoken to your mother Uh, after a certain amount of time and you still kept her in the loop even though uh, it aggravated you and one of the things that I guess is a little bit different between uh, you and I uh, a lot of the times I would just stay silent I wouldn't even get into any sort of argument I would just do whatever would need to kind of be done and I would stew about it Mm -hmm. you will actually have uh, you're a better communicator um, and you would have these conversations and conflicts, uh, would occur. So there was more, um, there was a lot, a lot more conflict between you and, uh, your mom and, uh, your sister, um, than I wouldn't, it would do in my life. Uh, even though I was the fixer, I would silently stew about things and get angry, but you challenged, yeah. which was, I was pr- like, I was really happy, you know, you challenged, Um, and then the similarity between you and I, uh, I guess, you know, my brother has been in uh, gambling rehab a couple of times and we have other, other things that have occurred and different, different addictions. Yep. And, uh, the way you talked about how you were with your brother, especially when you were younger, uh, and that carried on until you're older, you just sat with him, you know, you never questioned choices, really. And you were his friend. And you always treated him as a friend. And that served you until it it eventually didn't serve you. Yes. Uh, Yes.
1: and, 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 you know, I think we're more similar even than you think, because you, you, maybe it's just the pieces that I, I write and you, you see my conflict with my mother and how I say something to her. But the truth is, most of the time mm-hmm. I, I didn't.
0: So, so, I mean- so those the extreme <laughs> things had to happen for you to yes. eventually like, cause I mean, and everyone out there, extreme things <laughs> did happen.
1: Yes, they uh, did.
0: they're did. they very, like very extreme. Um, but when it comes to your brother, uh, and cause for a while in the book, you were talking about mental illness or he had to have something else going on besides his addiction. Did you ever uh, come to a conclusion or a or your, or your best guess of uh, a mental illness that caused uh, what was going on and maybe what was triggered possibly in his childhood that uh, everything evolved from that or no?
1: when we were and that's why i think it's so important to to talk about this now and i love being in a world where we're talking about everything now we're yeah. not supposed to hide and we're supposed to be who we are and we're not supposed to have shame and and um i'm such a believer in that and especially the secrets in families and i i m- when my brother was going through it you know it was 2000 the year 2000 and you know six or seven rehabs People touched a little bit on mental illness, but it was just more, you have to stop drinking first. You have to quit drinking. And as you said, this was a severe, severe case. Now, if it was today, there would be a place where they deal with mental illness and addiction at the same time. Mm-hmm. That is that is where my brother belonged. Um, I do believe our early childhood trauma, one of the very first chapters where I talk about, you know, my dad coming home in the middle of the night and us having to flee the house. And I never talked to my brother about that because I didn't, I mean, why would I? Why would I say it? I didn't think he remembered. I believe with all my heart, he had anxiety and depression and it was part of the trauma that affected him later in life. Um, I do believe other things happened to him that uh, he wasn't willing to talk about. Um, And, uh, and I will say uh, lots of things happen to us in life. It is still up to you, the individual to find the courage to say something Mm -hmm. and, and to get help. So I believe um, my brother had borderline personality disorder, probably mm-hmm. undiagnosed that that and that it saddens me it 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 saddens me because maybe things could have been different but um, but on the same token, I can't change the past so yeah. i hope I hope to help people now and 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 people that are going through. Not this exact story. None of our stories are exactly the same. But you're right. I think you can find patterns in there. I I think anybody reading this, no matter who you are in the family, you likely can find yourself in in one of the pages.
0: Yeah, I found myself myself through you. And then different family members took on different personalities uh, throughout. And, And my brother was not, um, as I said, he was not an alcoholic to that level, but he still had eerie... And the one thing that was different is my brother had a lot more problems when uh, he was younger. So I didn't have the same type of relationship that you had with your brother where it was uh, uh, loving. I I distrusted my brother from uh, a very, very, very very young age. Yeah. But I I still found that the relationship was still the same uh, in the sense of that, uh, I guess you're at a certain point with addiction, uh, you start to think, is my brother an addict or is he an asshole? Uh, is, uh, my brother an addict or is he a narcissist? Uh, yep. an addict can be these things, but, uh, in reality, if you flip it the other way, a narcissist isn't always an addict. Uh, and, yes. and all addicts don't have to be this way. And I always knew from a younger age that my brother had something else going on before addiction even took place. I was the only one aware uh, of this. And uh, it, was, it was very frustrating that no one else and now it's developed into something where finally people are listening 40 years later. <laughs> and, yeah. and the I guess, you know, there's there's something else that's going on. And do you think, cause in, in your book, it's such a, uh, for me, it was never a change uh, for you. It was a drastic change of this person that you knew and that now this person is like at a certain point, your brother's not even your the old person anymore. That person barely shows up anymore. Yeah. Um, and
1: so, I, I, I think what the, that makes a lot of sense. Cause I, what I've learned now, um, um, and, and I'm no expert in, in everything, but um, I've read tons of books. I really want to get as much knowledge as I can. And that sometimes when things happen, um, and certainly things you don't remember. I mean, my brother didn't remember being terrified and just hysterical as a two-year-old boy and me getting him dressed in the middle of the night to, to have to, I said, leave our house from our Um, drunk father and and all those things and sometimes those things because again, you know, they show up in um, early 20s for men Mm -hmm. and I think maybe that's what happened um, that he probably did have depressive episodes and felt anxious in high school so he started drinking and then, you know, the alcohol just started taking control And we certainly, we come from a family, um, you don't share your, your feelings. That's, you know, um, and you know, me, I, I've always been loud and outgoing and, and my brother, he just, his personality, so shy and quiet and an introvert. Um, so, you know, he doesn't have that you know, even to, to make him really say what's going on.
0: Yeah. Cause, cause he was a golden child. So a golden child, uh, most of the, well, you'll get different types, but, uh, yeah. kind of like a textbook golden child. Sometimes, um, some will become a, of a narcissistic personality. Uh, but others, a golden children will become voiceless people because they're, uh, they don't want to rock any sort of boat and uh originally i guess your brother didn't do that he was a quiet shy kind of guy who mm-hmm. didn't uh didn't speak up i would say was that be correct nope. yeah
1: uh, totally absolutely correct and you know near the end of the book i was and even i remember because i would go to counseling and and it was when my brother was going through it i wasn't going to counseling for myself i was going counseling like what's going on oh my god how do we help him right Um, Which, again, was a mistake because we should have been asking, what are we doing wrong? Um, But nonetheless, even I remember the counselors. I mean, alcoholism is a narcissistic disease, right? So he was showing when he he sobered up, um, you know, after that, you know, by then it was 12 years of severe alcoholism. He he wasn't the person that he used to be. He he was extremely selfish, and the I just thought it was alcohol addiction.
0: But eventually, um, you learn, I, I guess, in a way that this is the real him. Yeah, P- possibly. Yeah, or, I, or, or, I think... or 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 you know the the unquiet him, the one that actually talks. Uh, at this point, uh, a, a little bit of him would be there, but then this other person shows up. It would, did you, did you eventually, uh, start thinking what is the real him?
1: I don't even think I thought, it. you know why I, I think of it now on those terms, because my sons, my two sons are now men. Yeah. And so my sons now are 26 and 28. And so they were, they were young going through this with their uncle and, and I understand now so much of who, you know. I, I I loved my brother like he was my own son. I mean, I, I said that in the book. I came to that realization through therapy, just from having to raise him and look after him and, Which and you all didn't. those things. But I did. Yes. I did. And I think you love who that person was and you remember him walking and you remember when he's four years old and you remember all. Just like my other two sons, but seeing now how my sons aren't who they were when they were eight and 14 and 21. And so I do see that now that yeah. I had, I guess I had this who my brother was when we were young, when we were happy. I think that's what it was. When we were happy, we were a happy family once. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that, that, uh, that went away. Uh,
0: you talk about happiness and, you know, you talk about your sons and my, uh, you know, the, to me, the most proud I was part of the, for you in the book was when you said the line, uh, or you wrote the line about, we've been doing, you know, the same thing over and over. It doesn't work. Maybe we have to change. And then, yeah. you, and then you changed and no one else changed and you changed for the best reason not not well not i'm going to say i know i'm fumbling my words but you yeah. changed because you didn't want this affecting your children and you started to realize wow like this now can affect my children's life i don't want that to happen to them and a lot of uh, people in these situations mothers uh, sisters brothers or whatever they don't think how it's going to affect other people, especially if you have a narcissistic personality. Like your mom never thought in her process, oh, this might hinder, children shouldn't be around this. Um, It wasn't in her thought process, uh, but you finally got there that I I have to cut this off to save the rest of society. Or, or, yeah. or I used to look at rest. the society but like the rest of my children's life so they can grow up as as normal and live uh, you know so they don't have these problems growing older how tough was that uh it that was that the I get that was the catalyst to um your enlightenment
1: yeah and i always knew i always knew that the early years with my and and with my alcoholic father it was nothing compared to the things my brother did. Mm -hmm. I mean, my dad would just come home drunk in the middle of the night. They'd fight. We'd see violence, you know, things like that. Um, And I always knew it impacted my brother and I. And so why, gosh, look at the things I allowed to go on um, before I got to that place. I will tell you it is a regret. I'm not going to use the word I feel guilty, I feel extremely bad that I let my son see some of the things they did. And, you know, you'll agree it, it, it was, as a mom, I should never have allowed that. I should have got them therapy then. Uh,
0: I'm, not, but, I'm, I'm not saying, uh, I wouldn't yeah. say I um that you're you so in the other situation yes. that it's impossible...
1: To see see
0: the uh, (laughs) the other side. It's impossible. And the fact that you eventually got the uh, wherewithal or something hit you and said to you, like, I have to stop. Not too many people would be able to do that. And you were able to do that. Um, So you should be proud that you were actually able to do that before it became Uh, a bigger problem.
1: Yes. And I thank you for that because, you know, although I had two young sons at home and this was my brother, if you really understand the dynamic that I loved him and felt responsible for him, really, to me, unconsciously, I had three sons. I think lots of families go through that, don't they? Where they're trying to save their one child, but they don't see the impact of the other ones. And the long-term effects. And that's why the whole family does need help.
0: Yeah, and, and just not that. Like, I can think of a million scenarios that can happen. You have, like, let's say, a couple of siblings. And you have, let's say, this narcissistic mother who's going to protect one child. And yep. you, And you, in your mind, say, do you know what? I don't want this sibling around my children. That is the line I'm going to draw. I will hang out with you by myself, but I don't want you because you, you're a wild card. I don't want you affecting that. If you put that foot down, that person will then probably say something to the mother. And then the mother is now involved in your thing. And probably, you know, this, I'm just giving a generalization to Mm -hmm. probably many people's situations. And then that mother is probably then barking at you. How could you not let him see this uh your your whatever and she's essentially wanting this person to be able to see your children and who know and and affecting them i mean that's kind of the level of uh having a narcissistic parent in this type of environment where they're um i, I don't know if it's a uh Uh, I'm I'm fumbling on my words, but it's more of a a visualization or an idea of what a family's supposed to be, no matter how anyone's supposed to be acting. Um, And they're taking care of uh, the the, the golden child. Uh, Have you ever analyzed, I guess, your mom's relationship with your brother? Because I guess that, in a way, I'm not describing exactly what happened with your family, but uh, your mother's relationship with your brother was special.
1: Yeah, to her it was. Yeah, um, it it <laughs> uh, it.
0: Because she was, would protect him no matter what, and she would not protect
1: you. No, and 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 she wasn't doing him any favors. I mean that that's the thing about uh, extreme enabling, and you know what you all the things you just mentioned. That is exactly you know my mother. I mean, oh my gosh, it would be mean if if you said. Um, you know, he wasn't allowed in front of the children or, and you know, the boundary I drew with my brother was very clear when I finally got the strength. You do not ever phone me drinking under any circumstance and I will only see you sober. I never would ever say to my brother, I wouldn't see him, but the reality is he couldn't stay sober, but that is on him. And to my mother, that was on me. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's the struggle in families.
0: So did you ever, I guess after the fact, did you unpack a lot of stuff when it came to uh, your mom and your siblings and how each one of you were treated Um, and how you were, you were given a completely different set of rules to live by uh, your brother was given, uh, every nice, he, he could get away with murder and mm-hmm. uh, she was okay with him. She might, might get, be get disappointed, but she'd always let him get away with it. Probably scot free. Yeah. And then there was your younger sister. What was your young? Cause your young, your mom had problems with your younger sister, but then eventually later on, uh, it seemed like they were on the same team. Um, yeah. what was her role, uh, in that kind of uh, narcissistic uh, household of of siblings and mom,
1: and and you know I think I need your help. I've never really analyzed oh. my sister, so I'd love your help on that. I'll, but can, what I what yeah. I will share though is my sister. I mean, she's a flying monkey. Certainly, when it comes to me, my my sister sides with my mom when. When they don't get along, um, I, I don't have a relationship with my sister either. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, she has struggles as well um, and
0: addiction struggles she
1: she has she has yes okay yeah all, all sorts of all sorts of challenges so uh, you know uh, she she has my two nieces um, my sister doesn't have custody of them okay so I just try to be the best aunt I can be for them, but she is very much. Like my mother, like, you know, all of this still to this day is my fault. Um, you know, and, uh, I have worked, I have unpacked and unpacked and repacked and unpacked again. And I, 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 and I look at it like, I'm glad I was treated differently. I am always a very positive person. You're not going to find me angry or for all the things that have happened uh, I, I always try to find the positive out of it. And so for me, I have always said, if my mom didn't treat me the way she did, I may have ended up like my brother or sister. And so for that, I'm grateful. Even through all of this.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, because you were, you were the outsider. Yes. And because you're the outsider, well, you, no matter where you are in life, you're, uh, an, if you're an outsider, you can see things from a completely different perspective in a way you can see it happen, even though you're in it, but sometimes you're able to kind of take yourself out and it's more in slow motion for you to like, look and be like, that is wrong. This is wrong. What you're doing there is wrong. Um, and what was, uh, you know, your sister is an interesting character in the sense in this whole story because, uh, she, your mom asked you to to help raise her at a certain point and, and sent her to you when she was mm-hmm. a teenager. So they obviously did not get along. Um, and you also didn't really see how she was being raised because you were out of the house pretty early. 20, yeah. 20, 21?
1: I le- 17. Oh, 17. I, I, yeah, I got married at 21. I left home at 17. And so my sister was nine. And so just that age gap, you, you know, you're not that close. And, and you know, we had had a beautiful, happy, happy childhood. Um, after my parents' divorce with a stepfather. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mom and him got a divorce um, when Aaron was, I think they were going through a divorce when Aaron was probably 12. And then she, my sister started acting out. And my mom couldn't handle it and asked her to come live with me. And, you know, you say, I say that, like, of course, I said, yes. But I think what what people need to understand is when you, when these Things start being put on your shoulders when you're five. Um, I didn't know I could say no. Mm-hmm. It, it no isn't an option. No, it isn't even in your consciousness. I didn't legitimately did not know that I was allowed to say no, and so when I did, of course, say no when I was 40 or older. That's when you know. My mother, my brother and my sister didn't understand.
0: It's a giant no. it's a giant shock to them.
1: A giant shock that my mother and sister still don't understand today.
0: Cause even when you were younger, I'm sure at one point your mom could have said, You can say no, but it's yeah. not but <laughs> she doesn't yeah. mean she doesn't mean it.
1: No, no, and, and my mother would never say that.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you know, even when you're saying, you know, I have a Of of, like this is wrong and this and that and this is wrong And, and I agree with you and but what I think people need to always remember when we say that about people we love it's not judgment it it is not okay my gosh I'm judging my brother this behavior and the things oh my goodness I loved him so much it's like your life is at stake here
0: Yeah. Well, his life was at stake here. Your life was at stake, not just your life, your business. I mean, you went to lengths where like you could have lost everything. Uh, My marriage. Your marriage, uh, your children. And just because, you know, you had this person addicted, at a certain point, did you think you were doing it for him or you're doing it for the family in general? Uh, Because if you didn't do it, that everyone, cause it seems like your mom would pass the buck. Yep. Um, yes.
1: Always, always. Right? Cause if you
0: didn't do it in your mind, well, she's not going to do it by herself.
1: Yeah. Was, and, and she, she, it was just always, you know, and, and I, and I'll say my, my mother doesn't, doesn't see it that way. Of course. Um, just she knew I would do it. It just had always been my job. And so she,
0: she had trained you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, were yep. you her parent? Yes. Yeah. Can you explain yes. that a little more because in the book you don't talk about um that much of you being technically her parent, but can you uh can you explain some things that might have happened?
1: Yeah, cuz I I again I didn't understand it um, you know, was and I I didn't understand the narcissism part. I didn't understand until long after, you know, the, the two years after the book ended. And just that, just, just even you read things on narcissism and with mothers, right? Like yeah. the things that mothers do, they parentify you. You are born to look after them. And I will say not all the children. Like there's usually one that's chosen. And, you know, sadly for me, it was me. But that, um, you know, uh, what everything I do is to make my mother happy and that she gets um, her fulfillment from that. Mm -hmm. And so it really started putting a wrench in it when I started, you know, I didn't understand it, but I did start challenging some of these things that were going on that, that I, that I would no longer do.
0: And eventually that leads to uh, the breakup uh, with your mom. Uh, The final I guess, uh, straw that happened. How do you feel about it now that it's been six years, but then two years since you, uh, did all the unpacking and, and recognizing it. Do you, uh, were you blaming her for a while of what happened? And, uh, if you aren't anymore, how did you get through that or, uh, get to that place?
1: Um, when I, when I, it, I really, I can't emphasize how, how, bad my my breakdown was like I I have never ever had anything get to me and so this was just so out of left field that I that I have this nervous breakdown and when I did EMDR therapy the memory and you know for those that don't know they you know there's a machine and and they really try to pull unresolved things from your brain and resolve it and I was literally hysterical, um, you know, looking at these lights and what it actually really pulled out was the night of my breakdown. And I'm just, cause I was so scared it was going to happen again. I was so mad, but I was mad at me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't mad at my mom for, you know, phoning people to get them to hate me and and all these things that were happening and you know phoning my ex uh, uh, stepdad and phoning my nieces and and I was mad at me and it really taught me that since I was a little girl everything was my fault everything that went wrong was my fault
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and that's what I had to put away And, you know, the last conversation I ever had with my mother was calm. And she once again said to me that I didn't see my brother the last five years of his life.
0: Oh, she's still pulling that guilt trip.
1: She's still just insinuating again, Mm -hmm. as she always does for through emails and, and texts and phone calls, just that I gave up on him. That is the insinuation. And it's like, I know it's not true. But you know what? I'm not going to listen to it anymore. I did everything and more to save my brother. And it was never on me. And, um, and I, I literally, in a calm, just the most calmest voice, I just said, goodbye, mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the last time I ever spoke to her. Of course, my breakdown was a couple years later. But, but I think I really under, I understand everything now. And, uh, you know, I wish my brother was here to share in that, but I'm also really logical, right? I, I don't know if my, if my brother even had the personality to really, um, to, 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 to sort through all this.
0: Yeah. Cause we go now, like we go all the way back to the learned helplessness. Yeah. And in a sense, he was bred to have no chance. This was bred to happen. Yes. This specific, you know, he picked this addiction or this addiction picked him. But yeah. everything he had learned up to that point when he got that addiction, uh, it, this, this was going to be inevitable no matter what. Uh, the, the outcome. Yeah. Uh, because he probably had it so ingrained in him to be this learned helplessness that he didn't have the uh, the ability to um, dust himself off and make the best... I mean, addicts will relapse. They'll relapse a ton. But yeah. at a certain point, uh, he had at one point a responsibility to work. Um, but there was still this thing where when he fell, other people picked him up.
1: Yes. And
0: yeah. um, that never changed. So no matter what, Uh, Even, you know, you you made the change, which was the most important thing, which is he has to learn to to be able to pick himself up himself. He has to be able to take himself to the detox center. He has to make the phone call to the psychiatrist by himself. Mm -hmm. He has to do all these things for himself. But no matter what, he was, the you know, someone else is making the phone call to these places and doing everything for him. Um, you set up this, uh, safety net or the family unit set up a safety net for his life. Um, do you think because of uh, how he was raised, let's say even after the first time, uh, he went to rehab and let's say you took away the safety net at that point, do you still think you'd have the same outcome, uh, in your opinion, or do you think maybe he would have picked it up at that point because the, uh the addiction wasn't as bad even though it was
1: pretty bad pretty quickly yeah, it was pretty bad pretty quickly but you know it's interesting cuz you you I, it's just eerie for me because you keep saying learned helplessness and that's he used those words sometimes to me that he was he was learning that like when he was in rehab mm-hmm. um but we didn't you know we didn't understand the or I didn't understand, and neither did he the full scope of all this. So, number one, it's so true. Uh, do I think I, I, in in my honest opinion, I I I don't think even early on it it ever would have ended well. Uh, I think too now knowing what a narcissist parent does, um, you know, doesn't. Uh, Raise their kids to be equipped with life's tools mm-hmm. um to be uh because they like you dependent on them, yeah they, I mean
0: yeah, I we have, I haven't touched that on that before. Uh, your mom liked the dependent, like in a way, it was a mixed message. Yes. did you say what a was a mixed message where she says she wants you to be independent, but at the same time she wants you dependent on her,
1: yes, yeah, yeah, and I think for sure i'm I'm not sure you know with me. Uh, again, because I was just so different, treated so different than, than my siblings, mm-hmm. right? But um, on, on on, and it sounds, it does, it sounds incredibly mean for someone to even say. But again, if you read books by doctors and therapists and, and things, these are true statistics. This isn't just, you know, um, a daughter <laughs> saying something about her mother. Um, on some... I'm sure, unconscious level for my mother. Uh, I'm sorry to say, I, I think she liked my brother, depending on her.
0: Yeah, because um, your mom needs someone. Uh, if it, it fed her ego in in some strange way, um, but I, in a way, she like she 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 was always one to keep up, not keep up with the Joneses, but to portray an image to the rest of uh, uh, the people she was hanging out with, uh, I assume, correctly? correct?
1: Oh, gosh. (laughs) Yes, because that's another pattern, right? Like, you know, when you go, how hard it is. um, Well, anybody that's gone non-contact with an immediate family member, um, I think will say how hard that is because other family members stop talking to you. Other family members take sides um, and people can't believe, you know, you wouldn't talk to your mother or your father or your sister because they are very good at making, that's part of their facade, right? Of, of our family is that's why they don't like these secrets shared.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like right now, you know, I'm in no contact with uh, my brother and right now, it, everyone has accepted that I am I have no contacted because of events that occurred. Mm-hmm. No, this time, uh, you know, we're, we're in his 45th year of life and no one right now has a problem with uh, me doing that. And they're actually respecting the fact that that's happened. But when I was younger, um, when I protested, when I was around 21, when I protested his existence, uh, for living living (laughs) on this planet. Um, and I, I moved it, my sister, I moved in with my sister briefly. Um, and I think it lasted maybe four days because they couldn't stand, uh, that my parents couldn't stand that, uh, this was going on. Like they wanted me home. Um, they couldn't comprehend, uh, that this was to happen, you know, in their mind, they're still trying to create this family unit uh, facade. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I said, I'm not coming home unless you uh, do something about this. And because in their mind, it's what they wanted. You know, they wanted me yeah. home. They didn't really understand what I was even protest- protesting. They couldn't comprehend it. They I don't know if they could see it or they just uh, didn't, not that they didn't care. Um, it was just, uh, you know, part, kind of for me, it was just par for the course that uh, they would sh- just shove it under the rug. So eventually they agreed to um, what I wanted, which was for him to go get help or them to take him somewhere to get help. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that <laughs> never happened. Uh, but they would, they did anything enticing me home because it became more about, I I got a phone call from my dad and really, you know, my dad would be the, uh, the narcissist of my parents. My mom would be more of a codependent person, but my mom was my brother's protector. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's, that's the weird dynamic we had. So my mom was more of my brother's protector and, uh. Even though my mom loved me, but she would, even if my brother did something terrible to me, she would still protect him over me, even though in a way she liked me more, but in some ways she would protect him. And I was the youngest, yet I was my brother's keeper. Um, And I I became the, I was the youngest, but I became the fixer of my family, which was unusual. You were the older one that was the fixer. I was the youngest and I became the fixer. So... Um, that, that's kind of the weird dynamic that we had. I, um, that we share the same inherent traits and we're almost identical in what we would do. Yeah. Uh, but the dynamic of, I was the observer from the, the low end and you were the observer from the high end. Uh, and eventually it became, I came home out of guilt because of what they wanted And what they needed, they needed to feel that our family was a unit and together, even though we weren't, we were strangers in a household who didn't trust each other. But in their mind, um, they needed this thing to work without doing any of the work they didn't, it was like, they didn't comprehend it. And, um, it's, uh, interesting, you know, when you're young and you're dealing with this, and especially if you, we have young uh, kids listening right now who deal with parents. Who, uh, or you're dealing with a family who you know there's something wrong, and you know two plus two is not equaling four in your household because you've been to other people's households, and you're like, my family, uh, I, I'm staying here much longer than normal because my family doesn't work like this. This is interesting. You guys get along. Um, that you know if you're if you're one of these kids. You're seeing it from an outsiders' perspective, and I know it's probably frustrating for you to watch it, because you know it's, uh, what's going on is wrong, and you're being treated in a certain way, um, and you're in this frustrating situation. So just to remind everyone out there, if you're younger and you're dealing with something like this, um, you, in a way, you're, you keep what you're going to have to uh, you know, you're not going to be able to change those people, no matter how hard you try. And it's only for you. It probably became more frustrating.
1: Oh yeah, and and I didn't see it. And my gosh, it was so clear. And I should have. And I and I think it's important to say we're not just talking because people say that. Oh well, you don't get along with your mom. No, this is these are not some people's households and some people's families. And that's where guilt comes in, right? People try to guilt you to get you to behave in a certain way. And it did. It worked for me for a very long time and it doesn't work anymore, right? Yeah. And this isn't about not getting along with a brother or not getting along with your parents. Like it, you meet you you always have, you know, things that that come up in life. No, this is about abuse and toxicity. And emotional abuse. And, you know, I I always say, abuse doesn't always leave broken bones and black eyes and bruises. But it is still manipulation and abuse. And those are things that should not be tolerated. Not from other people and not from members of your family either.
0: Mm -hmm. And the the toughest thing with your brother, uh, because you, I mean... You saw him growing up as uh, a baby into uh, a very charming, good looking uh, young man. Yep. And he probably got away with his, ch- like a part of it, you know, he probably got away with his charms and good looks for a long time.
1: He did? Uh, it, it, even through all of that and through through the things that happened, the extreme things that happened when he, when he was, um, drinking, when he would sober up. Yes. That same, he still could get away with it because, and I, and I wrote that in the book. You you talked about that earlier. I mean, uh, my father and I didn't really have a relationship. My father, you know, is, is an alcoholic and, and it, and it just, it wasn't good for me or my children. And, um, but when my dad drank, my dad did turn into an asshole. And when my brother drank, believe it or not, he got sweeter. <laughs> so that's very hard on your heart because it is easier when someone becomes obnoxious yeah. or, or or mean-spirited and all these things. I mean, here I have, I love my brother so much, and then he just gets sweeter, and it, it it's torture. It... it it is torture, and 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 I I like to think and, and encourage everybody to see life not just through your eyes but through other people's, because all of this does affect everybody. And you may not talk about it and think you're hiding it from the children, the young children. You're not. Mm-hmm. You're you're just allowing them to interpret what they're seeing. And you know, my brother interpreted things, and you know. Be- Became an, an addict, and it it is often generational, right? I mean, it runs in my family like many branches.
0: So, your your message, you know, if we're going to say a message to the the families at home we're dealing with addiction right yeah. now, would it be to um, look at the processes of your family and? say this isn't just the addict that's happening right now. He is this way or she is this way or they are that way. I was progressive right there. I used all three pronouns. (laughs) Uh, um, uh, It's not just them. It's also how we act. And um, do you think part of addiction therapy should be uh, include the family and not just the individual?
1: I I would never... Go to and recommend any treatment center or therapist anywhere that didn't include the family. Um, that that is so important. Even if you have, I'm sure, I'm positive of it that there is healthy families out there. Um, every family, because what we do, you know, your, your loved one is dying if or can die, and if you really believe that, then then I think it's worth putting in that effort. And it doesn't mean that you're to blame. It doesn't mean your parents are to blame because this happened. Things happen in life, all sorts of, of things that we have to get through. And so I just think be really, really strong and open-minded and listen and, and all of you.
0: Hey, do, do you want to hear how dumb my family is? <laughs> let Please. Tell, let me tell you, this is how stupid we are. Because, you know, we, the first time uh, my brother went to uh, gambling rehab, I'm an enabler. I will 100% say I'm an, I'm an enabler. Uh, I need to take myself out of the One of the reasons why I'm no contact with my brother right now is mm-hmm. because I'm too weak. Like, one, I don't want to deal with it right now, but two, I am a weak link and it's easier for me to not be involved for him, for me and for the whole situation and reading your book. And when you took yourself out, I was like, yeah, I'm doing the same thing. And the first time he was in gambling rehab, a very, very long time ago. And I went to visit, um, he's telling So, gambling is gambling and there's like fantasy baseball, fantasy football. And a lot of people think fantasy football isn't gambling, but it's still gambling. I mean, it's just not game per game Mm -hmm. and he's giving me, um, okay, make this trade for me, uh, make all these moves for me for my team. I mean, I'm going and doing these things, not thinking that like, this is a form of gambling, what, what he's doing. And, um, you know, we, we didn't, I didn't even think that like, I am part of this problem right now. This isn't just my brother's fault right now or what's yeah. going on. I'm now, i, I I'm not just perpetuating it. I'm perpetuating it while he's in there. I mean, how stupid am I to, to do that? But I did it uh, because for me, it was, if I was to say no, then, a, then an argument might ensue. And I didn't want that argument. I was too yeah. scared of the confrontation. Um, because I didn't, cause my brother in his way is, is, uh, I think, you know, he's got a mental problem with narcissism and whatever else goes on. And, right. uh, I was too scared of the wrath of the argument because my personality is like, yes, I'll do it. I please, I'm not rocking the boat. So I'm going to do whatever you want to do. Uh, my father who likes to control situations in this, in this situation, um, set up a job for him when he was to come out. So my brother he's getting out of rehab. What job does he set him up with? He made him take the Canadian securities course to become a stock broker. Oh,
1: my goodness.
0: <laughs> think about how stupid we were. And none of us said anything. None of us said this is a bad idea because, you know, my dad wanted to be like, think he was going to fix this thing. Oh, he's going to do this. He's going to do this. He's going to make that. We're going to get him clients. Dah, 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 dah. Yep. And he, it was a learned helplessness. Yeah. Uh, but, it, 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 but we were so dumb. Uh, that we couldn't stop any of this from happening, and we put him back into the worst of situations. We yeah. se- we set him up to fail, um, yeah. which now continues again. It's like a giant. We're just setting up to fail, and we continued as you, your family did.
1: Well, exactly we- because you know you you get out of re- he gets out of rehab. You don't know what you're supposed to do how you're supposed to behave. You don't know what's supposed to change. You, you don't know anything. And you're right. Your family has be, been behaving. They don't, they know how to make this work and they know how to manipulate and all those things. And, and you know, we're just the little chess pieces, I guess. And and we. that's why it's so important mm-hmm. that you need to know what everybody needs to do. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. It's hard to, to hear those things. I mean, again, I listen to you. Listen to the crazy things we did. Oh, I know, because I have a few hundred pages of crazy things I did. And it was all based out of love, and I thought I was doing the right thing. And then it's shocking, because it wasn't the right thing.
0: No, like even recently, um, I, I, I it's, out of, it's out of love. You don't want to see your sibling in pain.
1: Nope.
0: And uh, even recently, even with my brother's gambling history and me thinking, oh, my brother doesn't have a gambling problem anymore. He's got these other problems and uh, stuff with his job. He didn't have a job anymore. And he was talking about how he wanted to do things with animals. Like that would be better for him. And I was like, great. That's a great idea. So I, you know, I talked to someone and I found out that uh, he could work with horses Except what I didn't think twice about was it was at the racetrack. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and we're making phone calls for him to uh go and meet like some trainers and things. Uh-huh. To go and work. Eventually that never even happened. But it was all set in motion. I mean, I was you know, I still again was part of the problem.
1: Yeah, you're uh, making the calls though. You're, like you're, even, you're, yes. even, right? Yeah. And 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 that's what we do, right? Like I mean, we're codependent.
0: We're codependent human beings.
1: Yeah. Like he's at rehab. He's getting help. Your brother's at rehab. My brother's at rehab. They're getting help. They're, they're working on themselves. So the least I can do is make some calls and the, or clean his house or that's, that's what we do. And I'm going to tell you a little interesting, a little interesting story. I mean, I, now I'm like. Because you have to, through the process, you have to change. And, and changing patterns that were ingrained in you when you were a little child is very, very hard. And after my nervous breakdown, when I'm sorting through all this stuff, and my depression got so, so bad, you know one of the reasons I know now? Mm-hmm. Because as much as I hated, like, Jody, you have to, you know, don't worry about your own kids or your marriage or, you know, You have to save your brother, and you have to go do this for your sister, and you have to help me do just all the, and other people even in my life. Anytime there was a problem, they'd phone me. And so finally, I'm just like, whoa, no, I'm not that person anymore. But you know what I learned about myself? Mm -hmm. That I got my happiness. My whole happiness came from making other people happy. So when I started saying no all the time, I became lost and depressed. Oh, and so that's been part of my journey. That, like, through my, you know, after understanding my mother and my my whole family and all my, it's I have to find what fills me. And that doesn't mean I, you know, you say no to it. You still do nice things for people, but I'm not that fixer anymore. I'm not that girl. And if people want to get mad at me, if they then they can. Um this, is, this, did- is,
0: this is why we're the same, because uh, when I was uh, with my old therapist, we would talk about me. Uh, we, we created something called that I would call the jerk syndrome, where if I didn't do something for someone, I would feel so bad. I would feel like I was the worst human being around, mm-hmm. and. Uh, if I was to continue to say no, it just felt worse and worse and worse because I had created my identity of being this thing. That's what I was. That's how I saw myself, even though at the same time, I kind of hated doing <laughs> these things for these people. Be- Me too. Beca- Me too. Because it wasn't my choice yep. to do it. Uh, were you able, like, was the piece that came to you when, uh, you did do these things, but by your choice?
1: Yeah. For first of all, yes, absolutely. If I want to give somebody a gift or, or give somebody money or things, things or do a favor for somebody, but especially my family, like, you know, when your family has problems, they're asking you for things all the time. And, you know, money is one of them or bailing me out of this scenario or that. Those are the thing, the unhealthy things I know it's, it's no. Mm-hmm. And it's still, it is even like, you know, I have a 20 year old niece and, and she knows like giving money and things like that, if people get, that's a boundary for me. And that's just for, because of my brother, I think that, that that was one of the really, you know, my mother always paid all these things and, and, um, so so those are the strict things that I say no to.
0: And uh, your relationship uh, you so your nieces uh of your sister. Yeah. Yeah. N- Cuz now we're getting into the codependency kind of stuff. Did you did you ever go to a codependence anonymous or anything like that?
1: I didn't. And people even ask me about that or if I ever went to Al-Anon and you know and I and I laugh and then it's it's not meant to be funny. It's like Al-Anon That would have been the last place I thought I ever needed to go. Like, Mm -hmm. that's how lost I was in the story. I legitimately thought I was doing the right things.
0: So uh, I'm going to take you back to your sister's uh, children, your nieces. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because obviously your sister's not that much in their life, or it's regulated, I guess, maybe how much she sees them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She, she doesn't, she, they don't live with her. Um, one's one's 13, one's 20. Um, she does, she does see them.
0: Okay. So your, yeah. your role in their life, do they look at you, uh, for guidance at all?
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah so, so,
0: so do you feel an extra responsibility to them? And does that boundary ever get crossed?
1: I think, I think I'm good at having a healthy responsibility. I, I, we talk, we've, we've, We've openly discussed my brother, their uncle's alcoholism um, and mental health. We've always talked about that openly, which, Mm -hmm. you know, my sister and my mother never, never liked. Um, But I will say my oldest niece, um, the relationship between her and her mom is the relationship between me and my mom.
0: Ah, okay.
1: And I mean exactly. And her and I even discuss it. I, I, you know, I remember she had to leave home at 16 and I remember, you know, the things my sister, because again, my, my niece is the parent in that relationship. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, I, I'd say to my niece, um, what are you supposed to say? I'm only 16. That's not my responsibility. You know, I'm only 17. That's not my responsibility. That's the healthy things I try to teach them. Mm-hmm. Just, um, yeah. So, but it it just has moved to another generation.
0: So you're you're. But do they have addiction problems, or were they be able to steer clear of that?
1: No, no. Well, one's one's thirteen, yeah. and, and uh, so so no. And mm-hmm. and the twenty year old, um, no, she's she's good so far. We and and I think that's why it's important to certainly talk when it runs in your family. Every family, I think, should talk mm-hmm. about addiction. That's the thing you don't know. You, and, and especially alcohol, because chances are every young boy or girl is going to try it and you just, you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, had my brother ever known, I, I'm sure he would never would have picked up his first, his first, you know, can of beer.
0: So, uh, I guess we're running around right, right now about one hour and 10 minutes, so we're guess, I guess we'll close it up here. Yeah. Um, is what would be the last, uh, as far as, you know, dealing with a narcissistic parent and, and women dealing with narcissistic mothers, uh, advice or things that uh, the most important thing that you have learned in the situation for other people to learn from?
1: Well, I'll try to make this really quick. You know, I've written a few articles on addiction, mental illness, and, and, you know, I'm blessed that they've been published you know, on lots of different sites on the internet. Now, For how many people that that affects, you would expect that it would get read a couple thousand times. And I wrote a story that was titled on Thought Catalog that was titled, I Never Want to See My Mother Again. Mm -hmm. And it was the first article I have ever written on my experience with my mother. And I am telling you, I was scared to death. And not because of what people would say, I can handle that. But it's like, am I being mean? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not writing this out of being mean-spirited or anything. I received more private email messages, Facebook messages, comments, shares. That article's been read over 14,000 times. More that's, than that, all my-
0: that's how I found you.
1: More, was it? Yeah, I, I, I,
0: I, read your, oh. I read your article and I contacted you because I wanted to read it on my Mother's Day episode. Which I actually didn't read on my Mother's Day episode because I wanted to read it at the beginning of this episode and I forgot to do. Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) Yes. So, so that has been, that I think is the message that this is something that affects people like we have no idea because they're your, they're your mother. Society does not understand, and they don't look at it. Society does, and families don't look at it like it's abuse. And, um, you know, it just, it absolutely filled my heart because it, it's like, for people just to know they're not alone. And that when, when other family, if, if other family members stop talking to you, I always say, you know, we lose a lot on this journey if you have to go no-contact. But what you gain is so much more. Your health, your happiness, your spirit, like that is most, that is not selfish. That is not selfish.
0: No, it is not. And uh, I just want to thank you for uh, coming on the show and sharing your story and and sharing your memoir with me uh, and the nice little note you sent me in in the book. Uh, after I finish, after I press uh, stop on this, I'm going to finish it off. I, after uh, we're done talking, I'm going to read your whole note from Thought Catalog so people know uh, what was said because it was it was such a good note uh, or a good uh, article that uh, I mean it got me to email you.
1: Yeah, and I I totally forgot that is how we we connected, and you know I'm grateful for that, and and two because uh, honestly I I thought. To to help heal my broken heart, I thought talking about addiction and th- talking about mental health. I thought maybe that's what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And now I just I think it's it's even bigger. Nobody's talking about narcissism. It was narcissistic um, awareness day just two days ago.
0: Yeah, on June first.
1: It is a thing. <laughs> well, it people, is it's real.
0: being talked about more now. I think maybe because yeah. the president of the United States. Um, Oh, yes. Uh, That uh, I think it's in a in a weird way. uh, He triggers a lot of people in a gaslighting sort of way. Uh, And a lot of people are being gaslit because he says one thing and then everyone says, you said this thing. And he goes, no, I didn't. And it's really (laughs) it's really, really getting to people uh, and triggering them really hard and that's what a lot of people don't really understand of like how come these guys on this cuz they obviously and now they everything split sides or whatever. Uh mm-hmm. we're we're Canadian everyone, so uh thank goodness we don't have the same problem kind of we still watch. But um they're being gaslit and for people who uh in narcissistic relationships and uh you're being gaslit by a certain person to say this didn't happen or you're remembering these things wrong. Uh that's our life and it's very frustrating. And Uh, These people don't even realize that they are being gaslit by, you know, a narcissist and that it's done (laughs) kind of on purpose, Uh, but they fall for it every single time. Um, And it's uh, because of that situation that's going on, it's become a topic for people to talk about more Um, that, yeah, this is actually going on in my life with this person over here. Uh, So it's kind of been brought to the surface where before people wouldn't talk about it because no one really understood. And I think now people, more people are understanding, uh, what's going on because uh, a leader of the most important country in the Western world, um, is doing it to its citizens. So, um, and I think that's why it's, it's becoming a thing or becoming more, uh, there's more awareness. I mean, that could be an episode within itself, But before we leave, one last thing, because I mentioned it on my previous episode, which I haven't released yet, which will come out by the time this episode comes out, is I asked you to take the Enneagram test. Okay. And you, and I knew what you were. I knew in my heart of hearts what you were. Uh, And everyone should take the Enneagram test because I love it. Um, And you took the test and I asked you what you were, and you said you were the number six. And I said, yes, you're exactly like me. I knew you were, when I read your story and I was able to read your whole life and how you wrote it and all of your, um, the pain that you felt when you made certain decisions. Um, and then the pain when you felt when you, when you did something good, uh, and you knew the right choices and you could see everything. I knew you were like me. And I knew you were exactly my personality. And if whenever you find out what your subtype is, I know your subtype is going to be called the buddy. Um because your relationship with your brother and everything, and with other people of not rocking the boat and people like being around you because you don't question anything, and anyone can hang out with you at any sort of kind of time, and you're just someone that puts people at ease. Um, right. I knew you were like me. And um Uh, you take on the personality kind of whoever you're with. uh, And it's a hard, it's a hard life because you are doing so many things for other people that you don't know who you are. And, and you have to, eventually you have to rediscover what you like, what you want to do and who you want to be because most of your life has been for other people. And, uh, if you're like that, uh, who's out there living that way, you can change. Uh, if you're a codependent person, the same way, uh, we are, um, there are, uh, you can go to meetings, you can go to codependent meetings, you can read more about this. And if you're identifying with this and didn't even know you were like this, uh, your life can change for the better. Uh, all you have to do is take the first step and, uh, recognize it and say it out loud or talk to someone about it. And that's, uh... That was fun. that was fun. How are how are you? I I went on a tangent there.
1: No, that was great. And you know, as you said that, my sub one is buddy. I remember. Oh, you
0: are that. the buddy. I yes. knew it. Yes. I'm giving you a virtual high five. Yes. Um.
1: And and you don't and and everything that you said is so true because all of a sudden when I because you don't think you have to change. I mean, looking after people seems like that's a really positive thing to be. But looking after people um, and sacrificing yourself—that's not healthy.
0: Yeah, and when, when uh, for a long time uh, I thought I was number two, which is called the helper. A uh, Mother Teresa would be the helper, even okay. though even though Mother Teresa, people don't know if she was actually the nicest person in the world. But let's just say for right now, Mother Teresa was the nicest person in the world. She would have been a number two. And for a long time, I was like, I help everyone. I'm a number two, and I was at this program. Um, Uh, it was a coaching program and they all made us do the, uh, the Enneagram. So I was, I already knew about the Enneagram. I already knew what I was. And we were going around this giant circle uh, and everyone had to say what type they were because we took the tests and, you know, and everyone who was, uh, I guess the instructors of this program, especially the main instructor, his name was James Flaherty from new ventures West in, in San Francisco. He was a fantastic guy, very smart guy. And we're going around the circle and I'm still reading my book. And eventually after around like 25, 30 people, it gets to me. I'm the last one in the line. And I'm about to say, I'm a number two. And then I stop for one second because I'm on six and I'm looking at it. And there's these words that says, unlike the number two, the number six helps people, not because they want to, it's because what they are expected to do. Oh, wow. so, so I was like, wow. And in that moment, my brain exploded and I was like, oh my God, this is me. This is terrible, but wonderful because now I know what I really am with yeah. was, it was those words. So I said that exact same thing. I said, I'm a two. I thought I was a two up until like two seconds ago. And, and this is why I think I'm a number six. And that man and in, in the instructor, we had to fill all this information out before. We even got to the program and for the first couple of days they observed us and they watched us. They watched us interact with people and they really got to know us pretty well in this very short amount of time. And he looks at me and he says, yes, you are. Yes, <laughs> you are. And I was like, you knew this? And he was like, yes, I did. Because he, he knew he, just by watching and interacting and everything that I had written, uh, all the information that I gave him to, up to that point, he knew what I was. And he, he was proud of me that I was able to, to really uh, see it in that moment. And it was really, uh, I don't even want to take a coaching program. It was very good because they tailor make it to your Enneagram personality type because they know your, your weaknesses. So depending on what type you are, they c- created the curriculum based upon uh, your strengths and your weaknesses so you could work on your weaknesses because they knew your personality so well. Uh, wow. so that, that was very interesting, but I always, I always, uh, I went off on a tangent. I always love talking about the Enneagram and I, I just want to talk about how, um, we have the shared thing now.
1: Yeah, we do. We, we do. do. And we... we found, we found each other for a reason yes. and on a topic that I didn't even, even have the confidence to even talk about, um, just up until just over a month ago. Mm-hmm. So, um,
0: before yeah. and also before we leave now, is there any program or uh, not-for-profit or uh, thing that you're working with that you want people to know about? Or uh, um,
1: well, just that I do donate fifty percent of all my author profits to addiction and mental illness programs. Mm-hmm. So, um, just you know, you can get get my book on Amazon, and you can follow me, um, you know, on Instagram. I do write articles and things, but I think it's just more. I just want to bring awareness and give people the courage to have a voice that don't yet have one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, shame on all of these topics. Um, just needs to be eliminated.
0: Okay. Well, this is Jody Prouse. You wrote the book "The Sun Is Gone." It's available on Amazon. Thank you for showing up today.
1: Thank you, and please keep in touch and do keep doing all the good things you're doing.
0: Thank you. And now, when I turn this off, you'll hear me read Jody's article. Thanks everyone for showing up. So I just want to thank Jody one more time. I'm probably going to thank her another time after I finish reading this, but I just want to thank Jody for being on the show. And now I am going to read, I'm actually going to take my microphone out here so I can do it properly. It's not going to be in the stand. I'm going to read Jody's, uh, post that I found on the internet, which made me contact her. And this was on Mother's Day. So this article was called, I never want to see my mother again, and I've never felt more free. And just for everyone out there, going no contact um, is good for some, and not. And this isn't like a blanket thing. It's not great for everyone. Uh, but for Jody, it was the right thing to do. So here we go. I know it sounds horrible when I say I never want to see my own mother again. I know you must think I am dreadful, a nasty person, that I am unforgiving, that I am mean spirited and filled with anger and hate, but that couldn't be farther from the truth. I know you believe that there is no one in the world that loves you more than your own mother, no one that has given more of themselves that there is no one that sacrifices more or puts their own feelings aside for your own happiness more than your mom. But what if I disagreed with you? That is your mother. I spent more than 40 years trying to make my mother happy. I loved her and my younger brother and sister deeply. At the time, I thought we were such a close family, tighter than most, dedicated to each other, but what I see now As I look back, is a five-year-old girl being given responsibilities no child should have. One of my earliest memories is when the innocent little girl with brown pigtails told her mommy that her daddy was bringing a lady uh, home when you were at work. Now, 45 years later, I vividly remember my mother's response, not to my dad, but to me, that it was my job to relay the message to my dad's afternoon girlfriend My mommy says you are not allowed to come to our house ever again. I did, as my mommy told me. I am not hung up on the past, nor does this particular story have any bearing on my life now, except it did become a pattern of what was to come. My mom always needed something from me, always. On her request, I moved in and cared for my sick grandmother when I was only 17 until it was obvious she needed full-time hospital care. At 22, recently married and with a newborn baby, I took in my troubled 14-year-old sister when my mom could no longer handle her. In later adulthood, I had the unbearable burden of trying to save my greatest friend, my beloved brother, from his own demons as he battled alcoholism, a battle that he lost in 2012 when he took his own life. My mother raised me to believe that it was my duty to look after the needs of of, of her, my brother, my sister, above all others, including myself. And I believed her. After all, I thought, that is what you do for the people you love. My mom didn't sit me down and tell me things, but the message was loud and clear. I took that message to the extreme for a very long time, until eventually I reached a breaking point when I was almost 40. The guilt I felt for putting my mom's, my brother's, and my sister's needs ahead of my own, my husband's, and my children became unbearable. And so, I tried to set a healthy boundary mustering up the strength to kindly say no when each of them needed once again to be bailed out of some immediate disaster. It was never up to me, nor a sign of love, to be responsible for the choices of my loved ones. I tried, and failing time and time again, all that left me was broken and a feeling of being a complete failure. I still remember the text message I received in the middle of February 2013 I'd been on a short vacation a few days prior and was sitting quietly early in the morning with friends enjoying the sunny weather at Lake Havasu when I heard my phone beep. I took a quick peek. It was from my mother, asking when my son's birthday was. It didn't surprise me, after all. She has two grandsons by me, and she has no idea what day they were born. I replied we were having fun and that Rye's birthday had come and gone. I was hoping she would just let it go. I was annoyed when the second text came through. When was it then? You're kidding right, was my reply. I guess I was hoping that my mother would gather more insight, put in more effort. After all, my brother had had been gone for almost a year. Wouldn't that lesson cause you to go out of your way to be closer to your other family members? Then the final blow. No, I am not. I have done nothing wrong. It took me a long time to come to terms with my relationship with my mother. Not only understanding her, but understanding myself as well, as I too have made choices and I am accountable for that. I've gravitated towards articles and books that have given me knowledge and strength such as Will I Ever Be Good Enough?, Healing Daughters of Narcissistic Mothers by Carl, uh, by Carl McBride, Emotional Blackmail When the People in Your Life Use Fear, Obligation, and Guilt to manipulate, your, to manipulate You by Susan Forward, and Codependent No More, How to Stop Controlling Others and Start Caring for Yourself by Melody Beatty. I've been in continued therapy to help myself understand why all this went so wrong. Not to point the finger, not to blame, but to work through my own thoughts, grief, guilt, for never wanting to see my own mother again, and everything led back to the same conclusion, Our relationship was toxic and unhealthy and came with too many strings. I believe with all my heart that my mother is a narcissist, and I know now that this is not my fault. Likely something happened to my mom in childhood that she has not resolved, and I am sorry for that. I am, but that is another example of something that isn't my responsibility to change or fix. Some signs of a narcissistic mother are she uses manipulation and guilt to get what she wants, She likes to present a perfect family image to outsiders. She is always a victim. She never listens to or cares about your feelings. She is incapable of empathy. She manipulates your emotions to feed off your pain. Siblings are pitted against each other. She parentified you. This is the process of role reversal where a child is made to feel obligated to act as the parent to their own parent and often siblings. She is never wrong. She is a favorite child, often called the golden child. Love only comes when she is getting what she wants. She violates your boundaries. She becomes combative and explosive over any amount of criticism. If you dare speak out, you will become public enemy number one, and she will attempt to destroy you and your reputation at all costs. She will never change as they are not capable of self-reflection. I lived through 44 years of all of the above, and, if I am being completely honest with myself, I probably would have lived with with 44 more. That is the power of love a daughter has for her mother. I wasn't angry about her text. I was hurt. But I think what I was most disappointed with was that she, after all these years, would at least attempt to show some sort of care and attention for my now adult sons. I decided when I got home a few days later I was going to say something this time instead of remaining silent. I picked up my cordless phone from the kitchen counter and dialed her number. I was calm and cool. After all, what, what I do know now, when it comes to my mother, is that I have to be. We are not allowed to say our feelings in our family. So I spoke quietly and cautiously. Mom, you really hurt our feelings. My birthday came and went in December. Rick's birthday, her other grandson came and went, and now Ryan's has too. You couldn't even take the time to buy a birthday card for any of us. You have got to be kidding, she replied in a tone I recognized so well. No, Mom, I am not. Birthdays matter. Cards matter. If they didn't, there wouldn't be aisles and aisles of them in stores everywhere. I am really sick of this, Jody. Everyone hates us because of you, she barked. Okay, Mom. That's not why I called, but let's roll with it. What do you mean? I stayed cool and collected. Your sister and I, everyone hates us because of you and you didn't even see your brother the last five years of his life. Her words echoed in my ear, and I felt like a knife in my heart. Narcissistic mothers intentionally try to hurt their scapegoat daughters. I know it seems implausible. That is why many of us stick around for so long, because it's just impossible for us to believe. But understanding narcissism, I can see my mom's behavior is intentional. It is how she feels better about herself. Through an extraordinary and painful journey, I realize now that we often make excuses for people because we love them, but loving someone does not mean we should allow them to treat us badly. Being related to someone does not mean we should tolerate their toxic behavior, unrealistic expectations, constant chaos, and psychological and emotional abuse. Maybe not abuse with broken bones and bruises, but still abuse, even if it is our own mother. We should expect more from family, a lot more, not less. If people like or dislike my mother or adult sister, that has absolutely nothing to do with me, nothing. Saving my own brother from addiction and mental illness was not my responsibility. My own mother making me believe so for so long was just cruel. I had heard those words for so many times before in person, in emails, texts, my mother, Takes every chance she gets to remind me that I didn't see my brother more than a handful of times during the last years of his life. I will not spend the rest of my life listening to her callous insuation that I gave up on him and that I abandoned my family. I lost a brother that I adored, and I feel his absence every single day. I am strong, confident, and know the truth in my heart. I did not see my brother very often during those last years. That part is true. Not because I didn't love him, not because I didn't believe he couldn't get well, but because he couldn't stay sober, and I had to find the courage to draw the healthy boundary to finally protect my own heart and for the well-being of my young children, whom I previously allowed to witness traumatic events. And that decision was between my brother and me, no one else. My, My mother's spiteful reminder isn't what hurts, what, hurt, what does hurt and brings instant tears to my eyes are all the years is that I fear she made my brother believe I gave up on him. Maybe he felt I had stopped loving him and, now, and not knowing what he thought the last minutes before he took his last breath haunts me. But I can't change any of that. What I can control of then and now is what I was and willing to accept. I now know there is nothing, absolutely nothing, I could do in this lifetime that would please my mother. To her, I am here to serve her and her needs only. And that, friends, is an impossible task for anyone. I now know there are others who do understand, most like me, that do not explain all the things that have happened during a lifetime that forced us to make this painful decision of low contact or no contact with the woman that brought us into this world. Ones like me, whose other family members stop talking to them for no reason because they believe we are mean and cruel to our own mothers. Ones like me on various private Facebook groups who share similar stories and who support, love, and listen to one another so we don't feel so alone. Or ones like me who write articles once in a while in hopes of giving others courage and hope. I don't expect most of you to understand... I just know that others experience life differently. You don't need to say anything, but try not to judge and condemn us. Have an open mind and an open heart. Some people in life must make choices that you never have to make. I understand that, and I know that I am sincerely happy for you. And somewhere deep down, I hope you're happy for me. I never want to see my mother again. Saying that does not make me heartless or cold. I am a good person. What I am also is healed. I have worked extremely hard through therapy, which I took very seriously, and I am grateful to be in a happy and healthy place in my own life. The alternative would be to spend the rest of my life wanting and struggling for something I will never receive from my mother, the ability to live my own life and unconditional love. And so, calmly, rationally, and confidently, I spoke the last two words to my mother, Exactly six years ago. Most people, myself included, would consider it started as a minor conflict if it was something that could have been resolved with a simple I am sorry, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. But my mother isn't capable of saying I am sorry. She isn't capable of a lot of things that I need. And I am allowed to decide, and so are you. I will not feel guilty or ashamed. Guilt and love used to work to get me to behave in a certain way, but not anymore. As the words still echoed in my ear, you didn't even see your brother for the last five years of your life. I replied, Goodbye, mother. And I slowly hung up the phone. I am free. So that was the letter that I wrote, or sorry, that I wrote, that I, I read on the internet, which got me to get in touch with Jodi Prouse. And I thank her for writing that letter. And also... I just want to thank her once again for being on the show and being part of the show, and being a six with a seven wing, just like me, the buddy. And also, last thing before we finish, uh, that that note was uh, it was it was longer longer than I thought to read. And just so you know, I actually the funny part of me writing the uh, reading this note from the internet from Jody was that I actually had to read this in two parts. What you don't know and what you didn't see was. I had a pizza in my oven and uh, halfway through, I noticed it burning and I had to stop and then come back on it and record the rest of this. So anyway, I, try, I tried to make something funny out of something that was serious and I'm sorry. Um, it was just kind of what was going on. Anyway, I've, I've gone on long enough and I hope you all learned something from Jody. I sure did. And that is the end of this podcast. Thank you for joining me this week, and I'll see you next episode. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. This is an emergency
1: broadcast transmission. This is not a test. Please remain calm.